0: Good morning, good morning. Happy Saturday. I guess I shouldn't necessarily say good morning. That's pretty presumptuous of me. That's assuming I know when you're listening to the show. I have no idea when you're listening to the Sports Kiki. I do know you could not have listened to a new show last week because we didn't have one. We took off the 4th of July holiday. Hope you all enjoyed America's birthday. Boy, there's a lot to celebrate this year, is there not? I mean, everything is going so great in this country uh, but yes, it is a Sports Kiki. It is episode number 22. My name, as always, is Alex Streamer. You can find the show where you can find every other Outsports podcast. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, I do want to give a quick shout-out at the top to Ken Schultz. He's an Outsports contributor, loves baseball, has a baseball podcast titled Three Strikes. And I joined Ken on his show this week to talk about the Red Sox and... What an atrocious offseason they had with trading Mookie bets and then lying and saying they couldn't afford Mookie bets. So we get into all that. I always love ripping the Red Sox. It brings me back to my Boston Sports Talk Radio days. Uh, and we also talk about me and Ken if we're ever, if we're even going to have. A baseball season. If we even going to have sports, I mean, I know the baseball schedule is out opening day, July 23rd. The NBA bubble is set to begin July 30th. The WNBA is set to begin. NHL has plans to begin the NFL training camp July 28th. That's still their plan. They say they're not moving from it. But man, <laughs> I mean, every single day, it seems like here in the United States, we are setting uh, new record highs in terms of confirmed coronavirus cases uh, playing sports right now, playing team sports right now, uh, would be the real life equivalent of the "this is fine" gif. You know, where the guy is just sitting at his kitchen table with with with, with flames behind him, everything's on fire, and he's just sitting here sipping his coffee. This is fine. This is fine. Uh, that's exactly what I think playing sports right now would be like, and it's so maddening. And a lot of athletes, Sean Doolittle, Mike Trout, many others have said this. uh, One of the main reasons why sports remain in this tenuous situation and may not be able to start, get going, or keep going is because of our behavior. Not wearing masks, not listening to public health officials, uh, the pathetic and inept leadership from our federal government and state and local leaders as well. We have been failed by our leaders uh, the, the ridiculous recalcitrance of so many of our fellow citizens has also failed us, and uh, it's terrible. It's terrible. But right now, I don't see how sports can conti- can continue. I don't see how college football can happen this fall at all. Uh, Ohio State, North Carolina shut down voluntary practices this past week, and college athletes, as we know, are not paid. So I see no way. I mean, I call it, so few colleges have plans to bring back students to campus this fall full-time. I mean so many are remote learning, partially remote learning, 40% of students on campus, uh, staggered start times. I mean if we can, if it's not safe for a college football player to sit in Econ 101, how can we possibly say it's safe for him to play football and bang heads against dozens of people on a weekly daily basis if we're talking about practicing. So it's just it's maddening, but I am more pessimistic now than I was a month ago about sports re- uh, returning. Uh, that's the truth. And uh, it's just, I think, a pessimistic time and a depressing week. It's been a depressing week. Uh, you know, I had a great 4th of July in P-Town, an amazing time. Provincetown is an amazing place. I feel lucky to have been able to experience it this summer. I mean, the beauty of Provincetown is a spontaneity a spontaneity of all of it. Uh, you know, my first P-Town memories were just going on a whim by myself. Let's see what I can find. And it really is the only place where I feel truly liberated in the fact that so many other uh, LGBT people will be robbed those experiences this summer due to the ineptitude that we have in our leadership and our government. And again, the recalcitrance of so many of our citizens is just, is really tough to take. There's a lot of social loss here with this pandemic. And that brings me to what I want to talk about on the show today. And to our guest this week, Matthew Rodriguez, who's the associate editor uh, for The Body, a publication focused on HIV and AIDS. He also writes for The Village Voice. Uh, He's a professor at the University of California, Los Angeles. And uh, he had, I think, an excellent Twitter thread a couple of days ago about all the Fire Island gays who were getting torched over the weekend on Twitter and social media. I'm sure you saw the videos, Fire Island Pines, these massive beach and pool circuit parties, hundreds of sweaty men bumping up against each other, no masks, no social distancing whatsoever. And these gays got dragged on Twitter, as one would expect. They've been shamed. uh, But I think Matthew had a terrific thread about this and made so many good points about how we should view the AIDS epidemic and COVID as concurrent pandemics. He talks a lot about the act of social shaming and how he thinks a lot of it unfairly stigmatizes LGBT people and gay men in this case. Uh, you know, that, that old trope about gay men being sexual deviants who are reckless for their health and the health of others, which I know we, was certainly very prevalent uh, at the height of the HIV-AIDS crisis. Uh, So, it's just very interesting points, and I think very important points. And, you know, Matthew also thinks that all of the outrage here should be focused on our government's inept response. And that is so true. You know, it's just... Obviously, I don't condone. I don't think anybody who can read and understands the coronavirus and what's happening could condone circuit beach parties. I mean, how could anybody think that's a good idea? Nobody's defending the Fire Island gays, okay? Nobody's defending them. But fixating on them and their behavior is completely missing the point. It's ridiculous. It's missing the point. It's shaming. It's needless. It doesn't accomplish anything. What does it do? It makes you feel good. It makes you feel like a Twitter vigilante to say, oh, look at them. They're the reasons why we're stuck inside. No, they're not. The reasons why we're still stuck inside and on this pseudo lockdown for now month four is because of our government and because of their inept response and their inability to prepare for this and the lack of communication and the lack of clear guidelines. That is why we are where we are. It is not because gays went to a beach circuit party in Fire Island Pines. It's not. I'm sorry. And focusing on that is missing the point and is frankly, again, I just go back to ridiculous. It enrages me. And it is cruel and unusual to expect people to stay socially isolated for four, five, six months, seven months on end, an indefinite period of time, which is what we're looking like, which is what we're looking at. Because this COVID situation just gets worse and worse in so many areas of this country. And from the start, we had this draconian stay-home rhetoric, you know, where every social behavior was viewed within the same Risk, You know, it was, if you're going outside with a couple of friends, that's the same risk as going to a crowded bar, which we know is ridiculous. It's wrong. Nobody believes it. And when you mislead people like that, they wind up wrongly thinking that nothing matters. And, oh, let's go have a beach circuit party because we've been cooped up inside for four months and we need to get out and we need to socialize. So that's a long-winded way of saying just... Again, nobody is condoning the kind of behavior we saw at Fire Island Pines, the kind of behavior I saw in some areas of Provincetown. Nobody thinks that's a good idea. Nobody thinks that these, I'm not defending the the rich, spoiled white gays uh, who go to these places and and disregard the the, the, the social distancing. I'm I'm not saying, I'm not defending them. Nobody is. But focusing on them is entirely missing the point. And it's lacking empathy from the standpoint that we as people are social beings. And as we've talked about on this show many times with many guests, in the gay community especially, I think a lot of this social distancing has been very hard because we are very close to our chosen families who we're being told we can't really see right now. So I think going forward, I mean, the risk mitigating strategies is what we have to focus on. Matthew Rodriguez does a great job of spelling it out. That conversation is on the other side. It's a Sports Kiki, episode number 22. And welcome back to the show. As promised, very excited for our uh, next guest here. Matthew Rodriguez is the associate editor at The Body. His work has also been featured in Mike, Out, Slate, uh, The Village Voice. He also teaches writing at the University of California in Los Angeles. Matthew, welcome to the show. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, thank you. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's good to chat with you. Um, so everybody on gay Twitter was really aghast at the uh, party videos from Fire Island Pines over the weekend. But I thought you just had an excellent thread on the topic and really talking about the AIDS epidemic in COVID as concurrent pandemics. Just for our audience, explain your viewpoint on all of that. Well,
1: so as you as you said, when you introduced me, I'm the associate editor at The Body and The Body is an HIV AIDS news website. So that's kind of what okay. I talk about, you know, 24 seven. And I'm also um, an AIDS activist who's been a member of ACT UP and who has done actions with ACT UP and, and part of some a lot of other groups that do AIDS activist work. Um, and just thinking about what it means to be sick and have a body and, and, and all these other things. Um and so when I say that they're concurrent pandemics, I mean that, um, you know, the AIDS epidemic is not over, and there are a lot of people who feel like, it, who talk about it like, oh, it happened in the 80s, and or it happened in the 80s and early 90s, and now we're past it. Um, that's not the case. That's maybe the case for people of privilege and people who are in a certain socioeconomic status and, and people who are, um, you know, not white, not people of color. Um, right. But as we know, um, the AIDS epidemic, I mean, is still ravaging communities of color, specifically black communities in the United States. And that all has to do with systemic racism and the different ways that uh, black people in America are not given access to help health, proper health care. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of other systemic factors. So when I talk about the current, the concurrent pandemics, you know, what we're seeing is that the AIDS epidemic and the COVID pandemic are ongoing together, you know, globally. Mm-hmm. Um, we're still we're still fighting the AIDS epidemic and we're still, you know, um and we're obviously fighting the COVID pandemic. So that's kind of and and that's something I've written about on the body as well. You can find it if you look at, I um what happened was there was a conversation happening on Twitter a while ago that I responded to as well where people were really resisting the uh, comparisons between the AIDS epidemic and the COVID pandemic. And they were kind of coming from this place of like, well, you know, the AIDS epidemic was among highly stigmatized groups and they're not the same and blah, blah, blah. And I, and what I said was, can we look at it from the lens of, okay, how are they similar though? And we know that both COVID and AIDS, like many illnesses, are illnesses that um, affect the most marginalized in society. So, you know, a lot of people think, think gay people when it comes to AIDS, but, You know, when we talk about HIV and AIDS, we really have to talk about, like I was talking about before, black communities, really poor communities. Mm -hmm. Um, And those are communities that are still, that still have really high rates of HIV. And those are where COVID is happening. I mean, one of the states that had one of the worst pandemics was Louisiana, which also happens to have one of the worst HIV epidemics in terms of how it's been thought. So um, Um, yeah, that's, that's basically what I was talking about with that part. Um and in terms of comparing them. And there's a lot of other ways that I do it too, in terms of, you know, um bungled federal government responses to right. the epidemic as we're seeing now with COVID. Um really a lack of caring, a feeling like this doesn't happen to me, this doesn't apply to me. Yeah. Um so that's just what I was coming at with that. Then with specifically with this weekend with Fire Island, I think one of the things I was trying to get across was that I saw A lot of people felt like I was defending, you know, like privileged white people who who are at Fire Island. And I think one thing that I wanted to say about that, and and this is my argument, basically, is that I saw a lot of calls for greater policing of of mask wearing and things like that. And I'm coming from an HIV background where we work on things like HIV criminalization and the way that illnesses in general just should not be put under policing. Like um, policing is not a response. To public health. My argument was, you know, anytime you call for policing, you're going to inadvertently, or maybe inadvertently, I don't know, um, inadvertently cause worse outcomes for people of color, and in this case, queer people of color and trans people. So, I mean, if you send cops to the beach at Fire Island, I can guarantee you that it's going to be more Black people and people of color and trans people who are and, and that's, and it's not just going to be Fire Island. I mean, they were tweeting Governor Cuomo and stuff like that. So let's say Governor Cuomo upped the amount of, um, upped the police response to mask wearing. Like, what communities do you think are going to be affected? Like, it's going to be black and brown communities and it's going to be queer and trans people. It's not going to be the rich white gays that are going to, um, face heightened, uh, risk of police interaction. So that's yeah. basically, I think, what what I was trying to say in my thread.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's absolutely right. And we had a video a few months ago, right, of police all over New York, Central Park, uh, you know, harassing people of color for social distancing. Right. Um, so so that's absolutely, so I, I totally understand. Um. And I also found it interesting that you said some of the rhetoric around Fire Island Pines, and I'm reading directly from what you wrote, sounds similar to the close yeah. the bathhouses rhetoric during AIDS. And you also talk about how you think that we, I'm assuming gay men, gay people, buy into internalized homophobic messages about gay people having less control, less willpower, etc. What do you mean by that? So basically,
1: um, I feel like, I felt like with the rhetoric around Pines this weekend, I saw this kind of like um, gay exceptionalism where people were saying things like, oh, you know, the gays, they're not going to stop partying. Like, that's just how they are. And You know a lot of that reminds me of rhetoric that i've read um from the 80s and early 90s about basically like drawing drawing gay men and queer people and at large as like these libertine vectors of disease that don't know how to control themselves they can't stop having sex without condoms blah blah blah. and like i'm i'm still interested in individual level kind of protection but i'm much more interested in the lack of federal response to um, the lack of federal response to COVID, and so you know it doesn't even when it, when it comes to AIDS, like a lot of people were saying, close the bathhouses because that's where gay men you know have a lot of sex and it's a high you know exchange place for AIDS. And it's like to me, I'm more interested in like the ways the federal government botched the response to the AIDS epidemic, and it's the same thing with COVID. I'm much more interested in the top-down ways that uh, local, state, and federal governments are failing people left and right. And I recently wrote, actually, a piece uh, for the body that got a huge response. And it was hugely positive and a little bit neg- And there was a, you know, a smaller negative response, too, that was called, We Need a Plan for How to Have Casual Sex Again. And the basis of the piece was um, I spoke to a Harvard Medical School professor, Associate Professor Julia Marcus.
0: Who yep, she's right.
1: Wrote- who has written, she's great. She's written for The Atlantic a bunch during uh, COVID. And one of her pieces was called Quarantine Fatigue is Real. Yes,
0: yes, And
1: yes. she's been talking a lot about um, the messaging around COVID and how it's been a very binary message, like stay at home or get COVID. Those are your options. And <laughs> I, you know, and she spoke about how that, messaging as, you know, we go into the fourth and fifth month of the COVID pandemic is not going to cut it. The message that we need to be sending is a harm reduction one that says like, okay, you want to have a semi-normal life. Here's how to go about it and minimize your risk as much as possible. So if you need to have, I mean, we're humans, we need to have human-human attraction. So if you want to go out and have human attraction, can you limit it to two or three people can you do it outside because there's a much higher risk of transmission inside? So can you do it outside with a mask interacting, right? And and as an adult, you can decide to determine if that's a risk you want to take. I mean, I'm an adult and I've been to a lot of, you know, uh, marches for Black lives. And one of the things I said was like, do I want to be in close proximity to 15,000 people or more, you know, depending on which one I went to? Like, yes, I determined that I Mm -hmm. felt like enough people there would be wearing masks and I would wear my mask. And I thought that it was important enough to go out and do that. So everyone has to make that decision in their lives. Like, is this something that I want to go out and do? And what are the ways that I can minimize risk as much as possible? And that's the basis of harm reduction. And so Julia Marcus and I, in my piece, we were talking about basically, um, you know, there's a risk continuum for sexual activity as well. And on one end, on the low end, is staying at home and masturbating. And on the other (laughs) end is, let's say, going going to like a group sex party that has a whole bunch of people at it. And everyone on the continuum deserves protection, the best protection possible from COVID. So if you want to go out and have a hookup with one person, you know, what does it mean to maybe like shower and hand sanitize before and after and make sure that their roommates are in their rooms and then you go right to their room and maybe you don't kiss you just have sex or something like that and so how do we minimize as much as possible to all the way to the other end of okay if you really 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 need to have a sex party there are still ways that we can talk about harm reduction for that too like limiting the number of guests and making sure that your space is well ventilated and, you know, you know, having, as the New York City Department of Health put out, maybe using glory holes, um, that's, you know... Uh, <laughs> they're coming back. Look at risk. that. <laughs> yeah, they're coming back. So basically, you know, um, I know it's a long-winded answer to your question, but basically saying that, like, I always push back against this idea of queer sexuality being stigmatized because I think that there is a way, I think that it's okay to... Be sexual, and it's okay to be sexual and you can be sexual and lower your risk. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there were many p- pictures of people at Fire Island who were not wearing their masks and who were gathering together and like having parties, and that's not something I condone, and it's not something that I'm comfortable doing, and it's not something that like is great for the overall pandemic, but overall when i When I think about that, I think about the all or nothing messaging that we've had and how this could easily be a response to like you know we've stayed inside all summer and and we just can't do it anymore and I know that it's I haven't done that, but I don't feel the need to go online and shame people because we just haven't had like there just hasn't been proper messaging about like, okay, we really understand you want to be social. here are some safe ways to be social i mean I think I know there's a lot of groups who have been calling on the New York City mayor to, you know, create, to just shut down certain streets and make them like open air markets where people can kind of go out and be outside and be among people as long as they're wearing their masks and stuff like that. But like, you know, there's steps that we could be taking to make sure that people still have social lives now that we're in the fourth or fifth month. And, you know, staying inside and being by yourself is really not going to cut it anymore. And while I said I don't, I would not go to Fire Island slash I've never been to Fire Island anyway. I don't even know. (laughs) I don't even know what it's like. I've never been there. I don't really feel comfortable going there. Um, I I didn't feel comfortable going online and shaming other people either because I just don't think this is a situation. It's such an unprecedented situation. And I don't, you know, I don't think anyone really knows how to navigate it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, there's a lot of things I want to hit on. Like I spoke with Jack Turbin, who co-authored a piece about safe sex in a pandemic. Uh, he's He studies LGBT sexuality. He's now at Stanford. So I, I agree with you there. And the point about the messaging is just so right, Matthew, because I mean, like the, we all these are all risk negotiations. We all negotiate with ourselves. Like what is the risk reward of social behavior? And this draconian stay-at-home rhetoric, as you said, really created no middle ground and no leeway and implied that every social interaction carries the same risk. And obviously, that's ridiculous. That's not true. And when you start misleading people like that, they really begin to think that nothing matters. And like you said, there's no compassion, I think, for these online shaming habits of the people's need to socialize. Obviously, again, nobody condones circuit beach rave parties with no masks on Fire Island, but... But, you know, but these are, there. there's a human need to socialize that I think a lot of people with this online vigilante type behavior ignore.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, I think that I, it's interesting that you use the word vigilante, because I do think that there is also an element, it's, there is an element of just like, um, of policing that happens it's a small that's the word that i would use for it of policing other people's behavior and it's like also really funny to me that in this moment of um really looking at the way that um police interact with people and wanting less policing then also like there's people who are tagging police and being Mm -hmm. like we need someone to take care of these people on fire island it's like you know we're having a national conversation about how police shouldn't be the response to everything just like we say like you know if someone's having a mental health issue right now the answer is send police or if someone is you know having a domestic violence issue we say send police but in reality we do not need police to respond to these things i also think that we don't need police to respond to public health issues um because like i said before if you send police to fire island whether you you know as many jokes there are about uh, at fire island about it being all white we know that that's not the case i'm a person of color and i follow i don't follow really any of the like white insta that people saw at fire island but i follow people of color who were there over the weekend because people save their money and go on vacation you know and nice. get away and i i there were people of color there and i saw them with you know on instagram and i know that if police were deployed that it would disproportionately be people of color who were um who were who would have interactions with the police that would lead to negative consequences. So I just was thinking about my black and brown brothers and sisters and and siblings who were uh who were there and really just like not wanting police to be anywhere near my black and brown queer family.
0: Yeah, I mean you're you're right. I mean, I wonder how many people who tagged Governor Cuomo or you know Fire Island police get down to the you know the pines. I wonder how many of them you know did Blackout Tuesday or have been posting messages about Black Lives Matter and you know defund police. It it, it is interesting.
1: Yeah, and so that's the thing is like you know, like I said, a lot of people accuse me of like defending rich white gays who are at Fire Island and. One of the things I said to a friend of mine was like, you know, sometimes if you're making a point about all queer all queer people, especially queer sexuality, like I was talking about before, about it being stigmatized still to this day, like, unfortunately, or, you know, that's going to include rich white gays, but I'm really like, I'm coming from a, a place of like, I am a Latinx, a Black Latinx person, and like, that's my family, there too and like that's my experience that i come from and like you know that 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 is who i'm talking about but obviously if i'm going to include all queer people and all queer sexuality and that that includes everyone but like i was really thinking about in that moment when i wrote that thread about like the real tactile consequences that could happen for um
0: marginalized people within the queer community Yeah. And and I really think that, you know, a point you brought up earlier and you tweeted this and it's and it's so right is like all of our anger, I feel like, should really be directed towards our federal government, some local and state leaders. I mean, it is outrageous. We are now four months into this pandemic and really six months since we first learned about outbreaks in Wuhan and the virus is still running so rampant in so many areas of the country. Stay home is still, you know, considered the best course to fight it. I mean, People should not be expected to be socially isolated for four or five months. That's just, it's its cruel, really. Um, and it's our government's fault. And I feel like a, you're right. The anger should be directed towards that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just a huge disregard for human life. And I think there are people who would probably respond and say like, well, isn't someone who who knows they have COVID going to the beach a disregard for human life? And it is. Yes. It is. And I don't want to minimize it, but I I think that, you know, one thing that my therapist and I talk about a lot is that and she said and she said this and always sticks with me is that like shame doesn't work on people, but shame works on institutions. And it's something yeah. that I believe in. Um, I think that you can shame institutions like the federal government and you can shame institutions like the the mayor. And I mean, the, the you know, the mayor represents obviously a whole local government and state government with Cuomo or whatever. You can shame people in positions of power you can shame institutions but i think that when it comes to people it requires a conversation like what would what would we say how how do we have conversations about among us among queer people about like you know let's have a conversation about fire island because that's a queer destination like you know let's have a conversation about what it should look like like you know should there be a a campaign to like have Fire Island, you know, closed for the summer? And, and can that be led by queer people? Or can there be queer people who talk about like, what spaces in queer New York are allowed during COVID? Because I know there are people going to like Reese and Rockaway, but they go, um, or Rockaway rather, I, I, I'm not sure if Reese is open, I believe it is. Um, but you know, I know there are spaces that people go to, to go to the beach and that a lot of them are instituting six feet, uh, you know, social distancing. Yeah. Um so you know how how can we as a community have a conversation about what we think is best and 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 what is not best and how we can keep each other safe um, because you know we, we should be caring for each other and we should be in conversation with one another
0: yeah and and that's so right and and you're right i mean there there's so much shaming what what do you think leads to the 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 need for for the shaming what what do you think drives people to do that Oh that's such a good question It's, uh, it's really not just about this it's uh, about i guess social media in general <laughs> or Twitter especially um you know i don't know if i can if
1: I can answer that question I've, it's 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 so complicated and yeah. and and multi and and multi variable but I think that at the end of the day i I do think that shaming has to do with um when we shame, I think it's, it's about our own identities and wanting to separate ourselves from people who we think act differently than we do. So we shame and we're, we're like, you know, when I tweet shaming someone, it's also because I want other people to see that I am disagreeing with this behavior. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like this messaging, like not only do I want to tell this person because if you wanted to tell them, or if you, you know, you know, a lot of these people we don't have access to, they're not our friends. So we we shame them on social media, but it's also sending a message out like, I don't agree with this. I want people to know that I don't condone going to Fire Island. And I understand that. I think, you know, our social media is so much about telling people who we are through what we say and what we share. And it's a form of like identity making. So it's really so I think people shame to let others know that this is not what I'm about. Um, but I think that it's always important that we um, think about you know, that the need for human compassion, empathy, because we all do bad stuff. And there's right. gonna be a time where we do something bad and we need someone to listen to us and to understand us. And I want to be extended that compassion and empathy. And so I have to extend it now, even though it's really hard.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I'll let you go out on this, Matthew. Uh, we've talked a lot too on the podcast the last several months about COVID's impacts on LGBT communities and those who are HIV positive as well. What are some of the, what are some of the big trends and stories that you've been following with your work and how COVID in the gay community intersects in the LGBT community? Um. Well. Well, you know, I think that
1: we're looking a lot, like I said, when I talked about when I wrote that piece about how to have casual sex in epidemic, I think a lot of what we're talking about is relearning intimacy. Um, what does intimacy look like during COVID? I mean, people talked about what does intimacy look like during AIDS as well. Some people changed what kind of sex they had or how they had it. And this is another moment where you know people are changing the kind of sex they have and changing their their behaviors, and there's a huge mental health component to it too, because for so many queer people, sex is a coping mechanism for the, for the harsh, harsh world. And so I think right now, both in my professional life and in my activist life, we're having these conversations about um, how do we care for one another, not only in terms of you know people's behaviors, but then how do we care for one another? How are we intimate with one another in a way that keeps each other safe? Um, and I think that that was one of the main questions during the AIDS epidemic as well. If you ask that same question in the 80s and 90s, you know, how do we have sex with one another in a way that keeps each other safe? That is another question that I think I'm wrestling with professionally and, and in, in terms of my activist life.
0: All right, Matthew Rodriguez, he's associate editor of the, at The Body. You can also uh, follow him on Twitter. How can the people follow you on Twitter, Matthew? You can find me on Twitter at Matthew Rodriguez. My name is Matthew with
1: one T and Rodriguez with a G and a Z. So you can find me on there.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Matt, Matthew, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. And have a great day. So thanks to Matthew Rodriguez for joining the show and uh, enlightening us. And I do use that word uh, genuinely enlightening us with, I just think a great conversation and great points about this topic, which will be one of the main stories all summer long. And I think as, look, Trump <laughs> has blown this, and I don't see anybody could still support him after this. I just, it, 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 didn't, it didn't have to be like this. It did not have to be like this. This could have been avoided like it was in pretty much every other developed Western nation. My brother lives in Germany. They're long past this. I mean, nightclubs aren't open, but pretty much everything else is. I mean, we are the only, we're the richest country in the world, and this virus is just out of control. It's enraging. So we're going to keep talking about it all summer long through the lens of sports, through the lens of our community. Uh, it's its the story that hangs over everything. Uh, if you have any topic ideas, guest ideas, as always, you can Reach out to me on Twitter. I'm on there against my better judgment. At Alex Reamer One is my name. That again is at Alex Reamer One. Thank you all for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next Saturday. So long.